0: and welcome to lore watch <laughs> you said you wanted free for
1: uh, i'm leaving that in well hi and welcome to lore watch a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media i'm your host joe perez and as you've already heard with me as always is matt rossi how you doing today matt i'm feeling impish i i can tell this is a good thing this is a good thing Uh, we are here on the recording as of the very first day of 2023, at least, you know, for us here. Uh, I don't know what time and space
0: anywhere yet, but maybe it is,
1: uh, you know what, that is a very good. Yeah, I think it is actually in parts of the world anyway, regardless, that's not what you're here to talk about. You're here to hear us talk about, uh, to lore and, and story and things of that nature. And so today we thought we would do something a little bit different, or at least I thought we would do something a little bit different. 2022 was a weird year, as was 2021 and 2020, so I figured maybe we'd start this year with a little bit of positivity and kind of a free-form discussion about some of our favorite story elements from various pieces of media or things that we just really enjoyed over the course of 2022. Uh, try to ring in the new year with uh, just some some positivity, and this could be anything from books uh, to video games to uh you know, TV shows, things of that, or anything in between. So, Matt, do you have any standout moments th- from the last year that you really just kind of enjoyed, maybe more than you thought you did or were going to? I didn't,
0: I didn't expect this to be about everything. I thought it was going to be a World of Warcraft discussion. Oh, we I approve. do. I we approve. can do World of
1: Warcraft as well. Of course, yeah, it's in I'm there.
0: Gonna, I'm going to say that I think it's really interesting. Uh, Dragonflight is only been out for about a month, it, mm-hmm. it was like November release um near the end of november if i'm not insane
1: no you're correct and,
0: and it is it has very quickly become a favorite for a lot of people for a lot of reasons i will say that i think the the quest line for the bronze dragonflight in shout in uh, dragonflight was one of my my favorite moments just in terms of how it goes from it goes from you know bog standard to trippy and weird to like somewhat existential uh, it brings back old old classics from Prawn's Dragonflight quest past, like meeting yourself from the future, which we've done so- a few times now. Uh, it had Chromie in it, uh, and it went from like I ch- it's it's moods changed. Like it goes from you know this is a post-apocalyptic wasteland to okay here's a bunch of Murlocs. Uh, what? Why are there Murlocs everywhere? I don't know. Fix it. Uh, to you know, the, the going back to the Black Empire before the coming of the Titans, before even the subjugation of the elementals, it looked like, um, which I thought was really fascinating. Overall, I just thought it was a really good example of a World of Warcraft, what, what it does well as a storytelling medium. So that would be the first thing I'd bring up. Um, yeah, I would, I would also to, say, well, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I tend to agree. Like, I think, I think Dragonflight was a... a a pleasant surprise. And I'm not saying that isn't everything that came before it was, was bad or anything like that. On the contrary, you've heard us speak volumes of praise about various elements of, of the previous expansions, uh, quite a lot, actually. But after the heavy weight of what was Shadowlands, like because it was, it was a heavy expansion. It dealt with a lot of uh, heavy topics. It dealt with a lot of emotional stuff. And then Dragonflight comes along and Dragonflight is still dealing with heavy emotional things, but it's doing it in what is like a a different way. There's like a thrill of discovery uh, with it. Uh, These storylines, some of them are very, very sad, but there's like this tinge of hope to them. There's not you're not basically I hate to say it like this. You're not just trying to find the threads of hope inside of the Maw. Instead, you're being surrounded by, like, the threads of hope as you're just moving through the world, and it makes the questing very refreshing, and it makes it more interesting. And there is, again, there's some heavy moments, um, mild spoilers. There's uh, quests about, you know, loss and grief. Uh, one of the first things you do as you're leveling that really stuck with me was the Tuscar Funeral right you go and you save the tuscar and you get them back to their 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 little hometown at the the very southwest portion of azure span and while you're doing that you're helping the new chieftain celebrate the life of the old chieftain and send him off uh into you know his afterlife essentially where even a wild god comes and claims and, uh, a grawl i believe is the wild god right that's the shark i think it's grawl
0: I do, I just remember it being a shark. I didn't remember its name.
1: Yeah, but, but it was definitely a shark. And we've dealt with we and we dealt with this one before because that they were around in uh, Legion. We we had a, a few things with them as well. But seeing them accept the chieftain in and having this like celebratory moment of everybody in the the town kind of stuck with me because uh, Caligos, who's attending this, is like, wait, why aren't you sad? Why aren't you like? weeping and like throwing yourselves on the ground and like being as emo as my hair is right now. And they're just like, because we're celebrating the life that they lived and their love that they had for us and the love that we had for them. And it is in this moment that like, it's like, yes, there's this heavy tragic thing, but it's just tinged with positivity. And it was very refreshing. It was very refreshing to have that be something that was present. So. And I'll let you say whatever you were gonna say I, I, I don't mean, remember. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember, sorry. But I mean like Dragonflight's full of little moments like that, right? Like there's there's tons of little tiny quests and and story elements that are just good. Like it just feels good. I don't really know a better way to say it.
0: Like, yeah, there's also it's interesting because there's places in Dragonflight you can just discover. Um some of the some of the questing and storytelling isn't on a direct line that you're going to experience as you go through the zone there there's stuff there that you can run into and can experience but don't necessarily have to um so there there is an element of that it, it does feel in a way it almost feels like warlords of draenor leveling did uh where there were like little side areas and pockets but since you you, you admit said there was like you know storytelling in general i was thinking about it as you were talking um And I haven't actually been playing that many new games uh, this year. Most of the games I'm playing are games from previous years or so forth, just partially due to money, partially due to that. Uh, I really thought Horizon Forbidden West, which was one of the games I did play this year that is from this year, uh, did a good job of working with what had come before. Continuity is a really hard thing for for long form storytelling Uh, It is one of those things that almost every storytelling medium, you know, has some form of long form and they all have difficulties with the concept. Uh, Sometimes it's good that they ignore it. Sometimes it isn't. I'm not like a continuity stickler by any sense of the imagination. I'm totally down with uh, ignoring it if it will make for a good story. But I thought that Horizon Forbidden West did a really good job of saying, okay, we set all this up in the first game, but you know it's forgivable if you didn't notice. Nevertheless, here's where we're going with it now. Here's what we established, what we had set up previously, and what the payoff of it is. Um, I haven't finished the game yet because my I have no idea. After Just after I got it, like I'll go two weeks after I got it, we had to move. So uh, we packed up the PS4, and I have not been able to find it since. So I have not been playing the game. So I, I'm going by what I remember from those two weeks before I had to stop. Uh, but I, I remember really thinking, this is going somewhere interesting. I'm really excited by this. I like what it's doing um, in terms of taking that. And, I mean, in terms of television shows... I would have to hold up Strange New Worlds, uh, the Star Trek show that debuted this year. It's not only, in my opinion, one of the best Star Trek shows ever made. Uh, it had the strongest first season of any Star Trek show. Um, stronger than Deep Space Nine, much stronger than, say, uh, the, the Next Generation or Voyager, both of which struggled pretty heavily in their first season. Uh, much stronger than Enterprise, which I'm straight up, I don't think Enterprise had a good first season at all. No, uh, not that it was necessarily a bad show, and it had good episodes in its first season, but the first season itself just hit the ground with a wet thud. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't it doesn't hang together. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I honestly think that while Discovery, I think has has overall been quality, it's never had like a, com- a complete season that I would say this season was good. But there's always been enough in a season that I thought the show was good. Picard, i just straight up didn't watch and i've heard nothing about it that has made me want to watch it um no reviews of it that that made it sound good but strange new worlds just every episode was at least excellent uh if not extremely excellent and the ending of the season uh which which had a callback to an original star trek episode it was like what would balance of terror be like if if christopher pike never left the bridge of the enterprise Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but it's an extremely good exploration of Pike's dilemma of the fact that he is aware of what's going to happen to him, uh, and he could try and subvert it, or he could just accept it. And that's a big part of Strange New Worlds as a story. The emotional heart of it is what happens to a good person when you put them in the position that, that Pike is in. Like, what does a good man do if he knows his disastrous fate, he knows how to get out of it, and he knows what the cost will be to others if he does? If he evades what's coming for him, who's going to suffer instead? And that's that's a big part of the arc of the show. It's It's been one of my favorites since I saw the full season, Just just for that grappling with that idea. It's a story about... That predestination and paradox and time travel and knowing the future, that isn't about those things. It's it's about the heart. It's about what do you do if you know, you know, I can say, F it, I'm going to save myself, but other people will pay the price. But if I don't, then I'm going to pay the price. The price has to be paid by someone. And it, it's just, it's really good that season was really good i'm looking forward to seeing what they do in season two i'm looking forward to what they do with all the other characters who who did get a chance to shine but it was very much pike's story this season and i'm waiting to see is is the next season going to be about another character or is it going to relate to pike's journey or what what is it going to be so yeah, I think I've talked enough about that. So if you want to jump in on something,
1: <laughs> there's been a few uh, really good standout story moments for me this year, because I mean, a lot has happened in 2022 as far as video games and comic books and movies and a whole slew of of, of items. Uh, I'm going to talk about a couple video games that I think are, are uh, they're definitely popular, but I think do really good job of just telling a maybe surprising story. I'll start with Stray. Stray came out this year, believe it or not or this past year, uh, where you play as a, well, stray cat uh, exploring a world that was built by humans and it is now in the care of robots. Uh, It is a fantastic little piece of just discovery and storytelling because you're a cat. You don't talk with people. You have a robot companion. It can talk with you a little bit, but you don't speak the robot's languages and you're piecing together what happened to the world around you right and then it's just really well constructed in that in that aspect as far as i'm concerned and it does deliver some i wouldn't even call them surprises but even the end is like some big moments where it's it's just a really well done game and it makes you people were like oh it's going to be a cat simulator where you're just going to be knocking things off the shelves and while that would have been just fine it's so much so much stronger than that you learn about the downfall of humanity. You learn about the world uh, becoming uninhabitable for whatever reason. I don't think they actually specify their reason. Um, where humans build these large, like, mega-opolis walls, silly cities where they can, you know, try to survive. And even though they do this and try to do things with, like, creating plants that can survive in darkness and, and try to recreate the outside world... It's still plagued by all the same inequalities that the world before this great apocalypse had, and you can see sort of the fallout from it. Uh, It's just really incredibly well done, and it's one of those games where if you can get it and get your hands on it, I think it's still on Game Pass, it's well worth playing through. Um, But yeah, especially if you ever wanted to play as a feral cat, because there's nothing wrong with that. Another game that released this year that I think is just absolutely incredible as far as story goes... Is God of War Ragnarok? And yeah, I'm
0: in a weird place here in that I know the story and I have seen all of the story, but I have not played the game.
1: Yeah, which is which is fair. Um, but it deals with not just continuing like Matt was talking about. It's hard to be to, to do continuity sometimes, and it's hard to do long form storytelling. The first God of War reboot game came out in 2018. Uh, I mean, even it wasn't really a reboot; it's just changing the direction of the story because everything that I happened would say before that
0: it's started. a thematic reboot it is in a lot of ways it is not narratively a reboot it is the same universe it's the same characters but it is very much a different tone a different theme different acting um it is in a lot of ways saying yeah this is this is a different story told with the same characters in the same universe all the effects of the previous games still exist but we're going to be telling a story in a very different way uh, that would be what I would say about it in terms of it being a rebooter.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. So at the end of the first game, you are coming to terms with who your son is, if you're from the perspective of Kratos. Everything that's happened, your place in this pantheon, because he had fled through the, from the Greek pantheon, left Greece, and had wound up in uh, the Norse lands. Essentially, he wound up in Midgard, he wound up finding a uh, somebody who he fell very deeply in love with. They had a child. She passed away. Now that adventure and everything that they did on that one is still present, and this picks up very shortly thereafter. Uh, Atreus, this, his son, otherwise known as Loki, again mild spoilers, but the game's you know five years old at this point, um, are trying to eke out an existence in Midgard as symbol winter is upon them, and you're getting to all of that emotion, all of that, all of the baggage is still there. All of the decisions that you made in the first game are coming to haunt you, whether it was the death of Balder and dealing with that through the eyes of of Freya, whether it is uh, killing one of Odin's sons and then Amodi and then dealing with that in the aftermath therein, dealing with the Pantheon, dealing with the Aesir, dealing with the effects of essentially you kicking off Ragnarok because that's kind of what you did and then while doing that, navigating the complex personal relationships of a father and a, a child who's a, the child is in their teenage years, they're starting to rebel, they're starting to want to, you know, push back. But not only that, they're doing that while they are themselves a god and sort of the complex the complexity of that as well. A child who doesn't know half of his family's history or story because not even Kratos knows that side of it. Kratos didn't know that, you know, his wife was a giant. And that sounds weird, but when you play the game, it may, they explain it. Giants are essentially shapeshifters.
0: Giants in Norse mythology are not all giant. The word giant is used in English to talk about the Jotun.
1: Yeah, the people the Jotun from are, Jotun.
0: Yeah, the Jotun are essentially from Jotunheim. Now, certainly some of them are gigantic, uh, but some of them are not and it's if you actually read norse myth there's a lot of shapeshifting weird magic yeah and, and so. they lean
1: and they lean into that here which i think is really really important as mm-hmm. well because it's not just a an a, the anglicized version of greek mythology here it's they're they're trying to stay as close to it but it's it's just really well done as far as all of those those sort of elements it also deals with very heavy concepts in a very i don't want to hesitate to say a positive way but in a way that makes sense, like dealing with PTSD, dealing with trauma and loss, and dealing with an uncertain future as you go and do things like, and again, mild spoilers, find Tyr, who's been missing. This is a big element of the the first game. Tyr, the god of war in the Norse pantheon, is gone. Uh, here, you go find him, and you go and deal with the aftermath of that. Or it's just... It's really just incredibly well done. The interpersonal relationships between uh, Loki and all of the various different creatures and elements like you see in full effect that he has such an affinity for animals that he cares for those animals that he feels for them can talk with them has the gift of of understanding has the gift of of words and can actually go through and sort of decipher Uh, different languages very quickly, the complicated relationship between uh, you and the dwarves and not just the dwarves of, of their own realm, but the dwarves that have been your friends for the entire first game and finding out what happened there, the aftermath of your decisions when you go to uh, Alfheim and what you chose to do there. Like it's just, it deals with, with all of that really well. And one of the reasons it's a standout for me is Video games, in particular, have a nasty tendency of ignoring the consequences of your actions in previous games. They don't carry over your decisions, what you choose to do, just don't really matter as you move on from one to the other. It is very rare that those uh, those choices carry over in a very meaningful way, and this is something I complained about in the past with some of the storytelling. And wow, but here, yeah, it's there. It's present in every aspect of the game, and it was just. I knew it was going to be good and it was going to have a wide breadth of storytelling, but it was even a surprise for me of how well it was done. So I don't know, I've talked a lot there. So what, what else do you want? What was the next item you would like to bring up, Matt?
0: I mean, if, if we were going to keep talking about God of War, we I can Absolutely. Say, Go for it. Um, I liked actually the way that Thor is presented. After he was kind of tinted in the previous game, the way the character is much more fleshed out uh, and and certainly isn't. Like, there's some stuff about him that is pretty, you know, stereotypical Norse god of, of war. The the In fact, the fact where he even says to Kratos, ah, there's the god of war. Like, he's happiest when he gets Kratos angry. Because he doesn't want to fight Kratos when Kratos isn't fully going for it. Um, I like the fact that you get to see Odin's relationships and how Odin is in this story. It's an interesting take on it. Uh, it's not... The, the, the take I enjoy from Norse mythology, but it is an interesting one to present Odin in this fashion. Um, I also liked to the the Heimdall Kratos fight scene is a remarkably story rich for a basically a brawl. Um, I, every time I watch it, every time I I, I observe it, the th- the first thing that comes to my mind is this is essentially the entirety of the story in one character. The whole thing about this is is can you fight? your fate can you fight you know someone else's prediction of your destiny and heendall's ability literally is to see into your head to know what you're going to do and thus can you defeat him when he is he anticipates you um and one of the things i've always hated about that kind of trope is that it always it always ignores certain aspects uh there's a character from marvel comics the taskmaster and he's a great character it's not that i don't like the character It's that sometimes they have him seem too powerful for what his power suite is. His power suite is, is that he has photographic reflexes. If he watches somebody do something, he can memorize it. And now he knows that move. If he watches somebody fight, he now knows exactly how they fight. He can predict what movements they are going to make. And this should make him a pretty tough opponent against most people, but they've shown him beating up Spider-Man and I'm sorry, The only way Taskmaster beats up Spider-Man is if Spider-Man is so drunk that he can't fight. Because you can predict what he's going to do all you want. He's several times faster than you And the Kratos-Heemdall fight recognizes that. Sure, Heemdall knows what Kratos is going to do, and he can avoid most of it. But when Kratos goes full out, when he just gives in to his rage, it doesn't matter that you know what he's going to do. He'll still hit you in the face because he is faster than you are. And that's the whole fight is about can Kratos keep himself in check enough to win this without actually doing the thing that will make things worse. And in the end you can tell Kratos is like, it's worth it to, to end this guy because there is no option. He will give us no option. He won't stand down. He won't yield. It's a really good emphasis of like, not everything Kratos has learned from his past is bad. Like he went through some horrible things and he did some horrible things, But he did learn from those things and not everything he learned was wrong. You know, he, you know, he isn't wrong in this fight for all that, that, that uh, Mimir is freaked out by it. Kratos, is correct that the cycle has to end? And that's been his thing since the end of God of war one of the 2018 game. He's like, you know, we must be better. You know, we, the cycle has to end. We have to be better. And that's, this fight is an example of it the whole game is an example of it. the end of the game especially is very much around that concept and i really did like it i liked that concept of you know it's not enough victory isn't enough but it doesn't mean you shouldn't want it you know there's a there's a lot to it i really did find it really well done uh another like if we're going to keep talking about games did you play expeditions rome at all
1: i did not but go ahead
0: Okay. Expeditions Rome is interesting because it's essentially a a tactical RPG set during Caesar's rise to power, except Caesar dies in the beginning of the game and your character, whoever you, whatever it is you're playing essentially takes Caesar's role. So all the stuff that's attributed to Caesar in actual history, you go there and either can do it or can do something else. And it's, it's really kind of fun in a completely... Like you'd kind of have to be a history nerd to get too excited about it. Cause you know, most people don't even really know all the stuff Caesar did. They just know the end, but like all the stuff Caesar does in his lifetime, all the stuff that made him someone who could eventually rise to become dictator of Rome is part of the story. Like his, the whole trip to the, you know, the Gallic lands to uh, fight the Gauls, the Celts, you know, I mean, that's all part of it and you can do different things. You can change effectively. You can change history. Uh, and that's to me, it's it's just really fun. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's it's very simple. It's a simple story. It's not trying to be super complex. It's not trying to preserve the timeline or anything. It's just like, what if instead of that guy, it was you, what would you have done in this place? What would have happened? And I really like that. I thought I liked the way that the story just, you know, rolled along and let you make changes and let you make different decisions. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't go see a lot of movies. Uh, I mean, we saw stuff when it came to one of the streaming services. Uh, I, I did, I did actually, I really liked the she Hulk series and I've, I've explained why in the past, but I think it was the end of the she Hulk series that I really liked because it really, it went in on that whole, the way the she Hulk's comic has always been sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it brought that to life. And of course the, you know, the, the, choice of actors was superb. Uh, Tatiana Mosley is just amazing. in that I just, sorry but she is just amazing in that um overall really liked it uh i liked um getting to see daredevil again i liked getting to see daredevil in his yellow and red costume uh the best part is he didn't even know it was yellow and red because you know blind uh i like jokes like that because i'm blind huh. um these things these things amuse me But so yeah i mean there's since we're trying to keep it positive there's lots of stuff i i can't talk about because i didn't like it uh but i did really like She Hulk. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, you got anything? Yeah. So another thing that I wanted to bring up is funny. You should talk about like uh, when you're talking about Taskmaster and Spider-Man, Spider-Man comics uh, have been going into some interesting territories again, whether people love it or hate it is a whole other thing, but I personally really enjoy it earlier this year. uh, We had a a thing where Pete was sort of taken out of commission. Um, He was laid up in the hospital and had to be rehabilitated over a period of time during that time. He he was under. He really felt that there needed to be another Spider-Man, uh, and so he wound up essentially giving Ben Riley, the clone from the '90s, who's still around by the way, his blessing as Ben was hired by the uh, Beyond Corporation to be Spider-Man, uh, and that turned into a very complicated mess, as it is always wont to do. It's a comic book after all, uh, but it was an interesting thing because you started to see. Uh, Felicia Hardy working with Captain America trying to rehabilitate Pete. Uh, You see uh, MJ working with with them as well and trying to integrate with that, like basically trying to get him back up on his feet, but not because she's in love with him anymore. They've actually split for good, and she's actually married to somebody else now in the comics, which I thought was always interesting because it's starting to turn some of the more traditional conventions on their head. But as, of course, involving the Beyond Corporation Everything is just the front. Corporations are evil in in this world. There's no uh, separation of of reality and fantasy in that regard. And Ben, it turns out, has been having his memories altered by the Beyond Corporation, which has led to this current moment of what's called the dark web event, uh, where essentially Ben has lost so much of himself, pieces of him, like just memories of who he was and what made him who he was. It starts to answer a question of What would happen with somebody with Spider-Man's powers, but none of Spider-Man's life experiences or basically moral reinforcements do? Because that's essentially what's been stripped away. Memories of like Uncle Ben telling him in his dying breaths that with great power must come great responsibility. Um, That, you know, to always – all the lessons that Aunt May taught him, that all of these life experiences that he had that Ben shared because he was his clone – Are gone. They're being they're erased. So you have none of the context. And it creates a truly terrifying version of Spider-Man. And where they're going to go with that story is a whole other thing. Um, but it's just it's interesting to see just the the reactions and how that's sort of playing out, not just because Peter is now having to fight against it, but so is Miles, and so are the other spider folks, because it's a whole complicated thing. And it really highlights how terrifying that character can be with no limitations, because that's essentially what Ben Riley is at this point. It's just a completely untethered Spider-Man. There is nothing holding him back from doing things like killing people. Um, It'll get more complicated than that, but it's something that – because Matt and I talked about this, I want to say like six months ago, and we were talking about Spider-Man in general – and we're just like, yeah, Spider-Man is one of the scariest people that you could possibly think of if he ever, like, lost sense of, of his moral compass. You know, it'd be an interesting story if they do that, and then they went ahead and did it. So I'm going to give Matt credit for calling that one out six months ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just, I'll be upfront. Dark Web has not been doing it for me. Uh, just since we're not doing negatives, I don't want to talk about it too much. But for me, it's just been kind of a eh. part of that might be I'm, I'm going to. It's really hard to. I don't want to again we're not doing negative so I don't want to talk about things but it's like I don't feel like the the inclusion of the X-Men into this is helping anybody. Uh quite frankly Spider-Man storylines are convoluted enough. We don't need X-Men in this who who take convoluted and and make it a story element. It's it's a it's a point of honor in an X-Men story if people end up being like, you know, oh I I, I happen to be my own father. Like that kind of thing. Yeah, okay, you know. Oh, I'm Cable. I'm I'm Cyclops' son from a horrible alternate future. And this is Nate Gray. He's me from another dimension where things went differently. Oh, and here's Strife. He's a clone of me uh, that they made to try and cure me, who went evil and joined Apocalypse. And this is Apocalypse. He works here now on the island with us uh, as part of our mutant utopia. All mutants are here, even the ones who've repeatedly tried to kill us. Yeah, so... That, 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 then you bring Spider Man in, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I, I, I'll i admit, though, it is a masterstroke to have Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley team up. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, you know, um, you don't, you can't possibly understand how I feel. I'm a clone who had my memory stripped from me. Uh, I'm a clone who was never even given my memories. Oh, oh, that's, that's awful. Well, but I'm overshadowed by my superheroic, you know, doppelganger. Uh, I'm, my superheroic doppelganger is, literally marvel girl slash phoenix from the x-men everybody the second she was back from the dead everybody forgot that i even existed and they took my kid and they act like my kid is their kid oh you want to get coffee or something yeah yeah we could do that i'm I'm into blonde guys with with you know self-esteem issues and heavy resentment towards their brothers yeah oh did i mention i slept with my clone self's husband's brother
1: yeah marvel, gets, we- marvel gets weird
0: marvel gets weird <laughs> um so I will say that actually uh, one comic I did like this year, if we're going to talk about comics we liked, I liked uh, Superman's Son of Kal-El just because it was yeah. interesting to take, to take an approach, not just to get Superman be bisexual, you know, woo, bisexual pride, uh, but also to, to get to see a, a comic about a legacy actually getting established in the modern DC. Like it or hate it. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Crisis and Infinite Earths, but, like it or hate it, one of the things I liked was that it put all the heroes on one earth so that there was kind of a legacy connection between the justice society and other heroes. Like there were, there were legacies of superheroes. There, there was the flash legacy that went from the, the golden age flash to the silver age flash to the modern day flash Wally West. Uh, there was the green lantern kind of had that too, although not quite the same because Alan Scott and Hal Jordan really didn't have anything to do with each other, but there was kind of a respect there and so forth. I just I liked it, and then they got rid of it um, with the new Fifty Two. They they ah uh, you know the, the new Fifty Two. I promise uh, I am not going to say that it was all terrible, but in the end it didn't really work the way they wanted it to. And the problem with Rebirth is they still haven't figured out, and they still haven't figured out what they want their setting to be. And they yeah. just did this this Dark Crisis story, which is supposed to fix it, and maybe it will, and maybe it won't. I don't know, um, but I will say that I I do like when they have those moments of legacy and I liked that they had Superman's son becoming Superman and that John Kent was now Superman while Superman's, his father was off in space somewhere. I liked that. I liked that it felt like there's a continuity there and there's a connection there. Um, So that's, that's a comic I liked. There were other comics that I liked. Uh, I am unabashedly and confusedly a fan of Keith of, of Kieran Gillian's Eternals. Because it is exactly the kind of story I shouldn't like and wouldn't usually like. But there's little moments in it that, that do make it for me. He brought back Star Fox. Yeah. And it worked. Like he found a way to make Star Fox work. Creepy power and all. Star Fox's power to make everybody like him and, and to make everything you know nice and friendly. It's terrifying if you think about it. And they've done stories about how creepy it is. But he brought it back and left it in and made it work. Like, yes, because this guy isn't using it to get laid. He doesn't have to. Um, quite frankly, if Eros wants sex, he'll he'll find it. P- you know, he's ridiculously attractive spaceman. You know, he's basically David Bowie with superpowers. He doesn't have to make people like him to do this. His power is useful f- for crowd control, for getting the entire planet Earth to get inside stasis pods or inside of a strange computer other dimension so that he can save them from a giant out-of-control god monster. Uh, that kind of stuff. And... Gillian made it work. Um, so yeah, I've actually liked—I've liked—I like the Judgment Day storyline way more than I thought I would. Uh, did you read Judgment Day?
1: I did not actually.
0: Yeah, I—I I didn't want to, and I didn't think I was going to like it. But actually, I kind of did, and that's partially because a lot of the tie-ins really got the characters. Like so often with these kind of big comic events, uh, comic big comic events are the are the cause of and yet solution to a lot of my problems with comics. They, they often require you, you know, you say you're just reading this one little comic and suddenly you have to, you have to read this, this tie in issue that has nothing to do with what was going on in the comic, but it's, you know, you have to read it because it's part of this whole thing. And if you want to understand what it was involved in, you need to go read this whole other thing just to figure it out. But what I liked about the judgment day tie-ins was that they, they were fairly self-contained And they were happening in a world where everybody was having this experience of this giant celestial God monster judging everybody's worthiness to be alive. And I mean, there are stories like the Hawkeye one where he was straight up. I don't care what you think. You know, you're, you're you're another cosmic monster. As far as I'm concerned, we've stopped how many and we will stop you. I don't give a, I don't care what you think of me as a person. Your opinion of me is not important. Um, And then you have people like when it judges Spider-Man, it's like, yeah, you know, you make life way harder on yourself than you have to be. But if, if anybody's worthy to be alive, it's definitely you. Like, it doesn't. There's no conflict about it. It doesn't make. It doesn't do a ridiculous thing to try and prove it. It spends five minutes observing him. It's like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, th- this guy is worthy. He, he should be allowed to live. Uh, and it's it's fascinating. The people it judges, the way it judges them. There's a lot to it. Um, I actually, I th- it's got its flaws. It's a big event story, and I'm sure Joe would agree with me that big event stories can be huge pains in the butt.
1: They can be. Yeah, some of them some of them are are more well done than others. Some of them have been um attempted to recreate some of the the hype of the original ones looking at You Secret Wars uh mm-hmm. and fall and, and have fallen uh short of it because it's too easy for larger stories like that to sort of get out of hand and get away from from what what they're meant to do or what they're trying mm-hmm. to do.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. But I think that for all that it's it's bluster, Judgment Day finally actually does something interesting and new with the concepts of the various books that it's involved in. X Men has been on an interesting trajectory for the past couple of years. I, don't I think agree. We have time to talk about all of it, but it's interesting.
1: I mean, we and, we we could spend some time because, like, that is something that really did start ramping up in 2022. Like, you... okay,
0: well, let let you do that after I I cap off on Judgment Day. Basically, Judgment Day takes what the status quo is in the in the X Men books takes what the status quo was for the avengers books and the eternals book didn't have a status quo because the book was just nuts and it says okay here's what happens because all these different things are happening on the same planet to the same people like yeah sure you know the mutants have, have made themselves a utopia but they also took over mars like what happens when they then have to defend it you know what happens when they have to stand up to a force that's even more godlike than they are. Uh, and the Eternals one is like, you've you've been immortal this whole time, but there's a hidden cost to it, and now everyone's gonna know the cost of your immortality,
1: mm-hmm. what it
0: takes for you to live forever. And for the Avengers, it's like you call yourself the Avengers, but you are by and large just people. Like you know the the and those of you that have powers, I mean with the rare exception of figures like thor you're still just people who got powers you're not a mutant uh you're not you know a cosmic entity those people have been on your team from time to time but most of you are just people like tony stark is just a human being and yet you know some of the things he's done he has more claim to call himself a god than some of the other members of the 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 x-men of the eternals do you know uh, it, it, there is a lot of weird synergy in that storyline. I thought it was interesting. I thought it set up some interesting changes. But if Joe wants to talk about the X Men, I think he should start going because I think I will only make things confusing.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is a lot of it is is sort of uh, all tied up together, right? So, like, you're talking about Axe Judgment Day, um, Immortal X Men is like sort of like the flagship book of the X Men series right now. Um, for for lack of a better term, if you haven't really paid attention to um, for lack of better introduction, if you have not paid attention to X-Men in a while, they have a lot going for them. Yes, they've colonized Mars, but they also had Genosha. They had the ability to bring any fallen mutant from any point in time back to life. Now, uh, there is a quiet council that governs all of mutant, uh, the mutants nation. State Krakoa, Krakoa. Not Genosha, by the way. Sorry, Coco, excuse me. Um, it is, essentially, it's hard for me because it's essentially what Genosha yeah, was originally intended yeah. to be. Right, uh, yeah, but right. the, the Krakoa Council, um, there are all of these, like, I think it's what, 12 members of it that, like, you have Exodus, you have uh, Sebastian Shaw, Mystique, Destiny, Mr. Sinister, as well as all of the, like, your best X-Men that you uh, have, Can kind of remember Charles Xavier, who can walk again. Like, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot that they're trying to do as they're sort of suing for peace in the world because mutants still aren't beloved right that's why they wanted to colonize mars that's why they're trying to get off planet at least to certain a uh, certain aspect i mean it's it's wild how just wildly different but yet the same the x-men story has gotten uh it's
0: basically it takes a lot of the stuff from previous runs of x-men and finally says look we can't keep going back to this little this little school in upstate New York. You know, we've taken this story in too many directions where it has to go it has to go something else. And it it is not that dissimilar to previous arcs. Like I remember this the arc where Cyclops basically had an island off the coast of San Francisco where the mutants could live. Um they've done this a few times. What they're what's different here is their sustainably up as upending the apple cart where it's not mutants fighting for a world that fears and hates them they're like we don't you know what we're still heroes but we're gonna we're gonna set apart our place in the world and you're not welcome mm-hmm. you're not invited uh, and it's fascinating oh because by the way is, we can cure
1: cancer but it's gonna cost you
0: yeah we have pills that can you know cure cancer or And they kind of steal a march on Wakanda there because Wakanda had that, but didn't share it with anybody who wasn't from Wakanda. The X-Men will, the the mutants will share it, but it will cost you. And the reason they're doing that is to make people dependent on them. And they admit it. Up front, there's a scene where Professor Xavier and Magneto and Apocalypse of all people go and and have a discussion with various world leaders. And they flat out say, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to try and take over the world we have no interest in taking over the world. We're just, you know we're going to get rich selling you, you know, the, the ability to, to not get sick and to live longer. And when we have enough of your money, the next person who decides to try and, you know, take out, you know, try to whip up a movement against us. We're going to buy everything that they own and destroy them.
1: And and they do that. Right. Like, so like Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a theme in some of the comics. Like there is a, in various parts of the world, obviously like world governments aren't exactly on board with this. But part of it is not just for money. It's also suing the world into uh, essentially swaying public opinion to make it unpopular to go after mutants, because Mm -hmm. if if they're the ones that have the cure for my mother's cancer, you know, why am I going to support, you know, Senator, you know, X, Y, Z deciding that they need to go after them because then that means I don't get my medicine for my mother or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Like, it, it, it's a really well done like they like as far as like political maneuvering on the uh, the part of the mutants in that storyline. And it's just, it's incredibly well done. Um, I also really like the fact that like it gets into some weird territory as well. Like Emma Frost having clones of herself, that mm-hmm. that's a whole thing um but it's but also
0: those have been around for a while so they have been oh uh, but like for here's an example of an interesting storytelling quirk of this whole thing uh one of the things that happened during the whole for lack of a better word during the the, the uh judgment day storyline the 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 world found out that mutants have the ability to resurrect themselves and this was a this was a concealed secret because the mutants knew that if the humans knew they could do that things would go nuts and during the storyline basically a the reason that the mutants have that ability is due to them having these specific five mutants that they can use their powers in conjunction to make this happen. And one of the things that happened was that uh, the Scarlet Witch, who is not a mutant anymore. uh, If you know, Marvel don't ask me to explain this to you, uh, but it involved the high evolutionary and so forth. But at any rate, she basically to, to try and make it up to the mutants for her, no more mutants thing, which was really bad and killed a lot of them. Um, she basically uh, tied into the ability that they had to use Cerebro to record the minds of people and thus resurrect them. And she's like, why don't we make it so you can just pull them out of any point in history? So she expanded it from, we can bring back any mutant that we've made a backup copy with Cerebro to, we can bring back any mutant ever,
1: which is how old school Pyro comes back and joins the Marauders.
0: Yeah. But what's really fun about all this is Magneto becomes despondent. Because first off, he does re- reconcile the Scarlet Witch and still considers her his daughter, um, as well he should. Uh, in point of fact, I think that both both uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are, in fact, still Magneto's children. But regardless, he he thinks, you know, well, maybe my first – the, the daughter I had when I was, you know, first convinced that humans couldn't be trusted when she was burned to death, maybe I could, could bring her back. But she wasn't a mutant, mm-hmm. so he can't bring her back. And he's like – he retires to Mars. This story is one of my favorite stories and I hope they don't reverse it too quickly. He retires to Mars. And when Mars, when the, the Martian, the Martian government is called Araco. It's because Krakoa had a sister Island that was teleported into another dimension and trapped there for like, you know, however many thousands of years and whole deal with apocalypses followers. And these mutants have returned and they needed to put them on the moon because they're, they're not going to play nice with humans. Um, so that's why they, they went, also the Morlocks the are there. Yeah. Then the Morlocks are like, you know, why should we live on earth and be treated like crap when we can either live in Krakoa or we can go to the moon? I mean, to Mars. So they both, you know, the Mars has been colonized, but, and there are still humans with the people of Araco because sometimes humans are born to mutants too. It's, it doesn't go just one way. Um, so Magneto retires there. And when there's a crisis, he, he decides I'm going to get rid of my ability to, to be, re- to be recreated. Like he, he goes and pulls his, for lack of a word, his backup and destroys it, knowing that this means that if anything happens and he dies, that's it. And he's like, that's fine. And Aurora's like, are you sure about this? And he tells her, you know, I don't think death is necessarily something to be feared. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm old and I'm tired. You know, Aurora, I may look good for my age, but I was around during World War II. You know, I, I was in concentration camps. I have seen too much and I don't want to just live forever with this and knowing that I'll never see my child again. You know, it's not that I don't love the children I have, but I want to rest. And that was a really powerful moment because think about it. Magneto has been the character better or for worse. Who's been fighting for mutant kind his whole life. Um, Sometimes he was straight up a villain. Sometimes he was actually kind of a hero, Some writers treated him more as a terrorist. Some others tried to reconcile that. But when he's finally done, he's, you know, in a way he's accomplished his life stream. He has created a place where he knows his people will be safe. And so he's, he makes that decision. I'm done. And then the the judgment day story happens and Magneto does die because he's Magneto. He won't let himself die until the fight that's, that he's in that destroys him is over. Mm -hmm. He literally magnetically keeps his heart going. Even though it has been destroyed. He magnetically holds the pieces together and he is personally squeezing his heart to keep himself alive until they finally beat the thing that's attacking. But when it's over, he just he's he's laying there and and, you know Aurora's like, I can still get you some help. And he goes, I'm Aurora, this is it. I'm done. Watch Charles, please. Charles is a good man. And the problem with good men is they will they will, you know, they will do so much to prove they're good men. Watch him for our people and he just dies. Now, I'm positive they're going to bring him back. But I I still of all the stories that they've done with this new the new abilities that they have in X-Men, Magneto's story to me is the most interesting because it is it is a it's a sign of somebody who he, it it reminds me a bit of Moses. Moses can lead them through the desert, but Moses can't go to the promised land because Moses is too tied up and everything they've escaped and everything they had to do to get away and everything they had to do in the desert. He can't leave that and go to the new place. Mutants are entering into a new world. They've created a new world. They're changing their own their own trajectory. They're rejecting humanity. And despite the fact that Magneto is, is like a mutant stalwart, he's possibly the most human character amongst all these mutants. Because everything he does is about basic humanity, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a fascinating storyline in a, in a sea of fascinating storylines. And I'm sure Joe could pull out quite a few um, X-Men's really in a, in a real way they're doing with X-Men what they should have done with Inhumans. They've actually made the X-Men more inhuman. They've made all mutants more inhuman than they were. And it's, it's a shame to me that Marvel completely squandered the inhumans, but in a way, they were trying too hard to make the Inhumans into the X-Men when they should have just been using the X-Men. And I know it's because they made a movie deal and they sold the rights. I, I do know that. But, yeah, that it, um, I really do feel like this is a, it's a fascinating direction for them to have gone. Uh, it was Jonathan Hickman who first came up with it, but it's been Kieran Gillian who's basically been, been writing it. A lot of other writers, too. There's a lot of side books. But for me, uh, the, the main X-Men books have have really been kind of a roller coaster of how to do storytelling where you don't you you change the status quo and you keep it changed for an extended period of time
1: yeah so we're, not, we're running out of time here so i just kind of want to to end this out like 2022 was a surprisingly good year for storytelling across multiple forms of media it it's been a long time since I think we've had a year that has delivered such good elements of just well-crafted story or or even just like good versions of subverting the story uh or reimagining a story. It's just been a very, very good year overall. So I, I want to end it with a thought and a question for you, Matt. With us moving into 2023, is there something that you're looking forward to? Is there a thing we could take this back to World of Warcraft? We could take this back to, to well, essentially anything you want. But is there anything that you're exceptionally hopeful for that we're going to get as far as like big story moments or just something you're excited for?
0: Uh, well, we already lost the first thing that I was excited for because I was really hoping to get, finally get to see Henry Cavill play Superman with somebody other than Zack Snyder directing it. Um, but but that won't happen. So yeah, I'm DC almost had me back. Like I had pretty much sworn off of them after the Batgirl thing, but then they almost had me back. But then they they're like no, nope. so won't be won't be paying attention to anything DC does for a while. Um, comic, I mean I'll read the comics, but in terms of what I'm looking forward to, uh, there's a few games coming out that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, strange new world season two, obviously. i mm-hmm. um, super excited about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to, um, hmm. stuff that I know was coming out in 2023 is kind of hard to say. Cause a lot of stuff could come out in 2023, but maybe it won't. Um, it's so like rogue trader. I would love for rogue trader to come out this year. I don't know that it will, um, I am certain that Diablo four is going to come out and I'm super excited about that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my excitement about that has nothing to do with the narrative of the Diablo series. Not that I don't like the narrative of Diablo stories, but they are basic narratives and Diablo three got a little bit more intricate, but I, I am taking a wait and see if it turns out the story development on Diablo four is as good as, as it could be, then I would be super excited. Um, we'll see what happens because a lot of, a lot of stuff happened during the development of the game. So, so who knows? Um, I've been super surprised by by uh, Dragonflight, like shocked by it. Quite frankly, I I did not expect to enjoy it. I didn't think I would hate it. I just didn't think I would like it. I certainly didn't think I would like it so much that I'd play four four different characters to seventy within the first month. Uh, but I did. I, I really did. Um, the story has the the leveling story has a lot of replayability. There's a lot of interesting little moments that you can have without even like they're on they're not on the beaten path they're not part of a a chain that you must do, so you can miss them totally or you can like run into them and be like, "Oh okay, that's interesting I hadn't seen that um so I liked that, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with their story patches um they've got two coming up uh patch ten point one and patch ten point two supposedly this year I'm looking forward to both of those um otherwise, I mean it feels like star wars has almost is almost to exclusively TV series now. Uh, Andor seems really good. I, I personally liked the Obi Wan show. A lot of the people don't seem to have liked it, but Jedi Survivor is coming out. I'm interested in what they do with Calcastus' story. I felt like the first one was all set up, so I'm hoping this one will actually be a story, if that makes sense.
1: No, I would agree with you on that.
0: Um, in a way, I almost wish they hadn't put Horizon out last year. Um, I almost wish they'd waited because it just got swamped. Uh, between her, between Elden Ring and then later on God of War, uh, Ragnarok, poor Horizon. The, the DLC is coming, and it supposedly is going to be amazing. So I am interested in seeing that. Obviously, Phantom Liberty uh, DLC for Cyberpunk. I didn't talk about Cyberpunk because technically Cyberpunk didn't get any story in 2022, but nothing has managed to hold my attention as long as Cyberpunk has at this point. That's fair. I've played that game for two years now. Um, three years. This is the third year. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm kind of... I'm not saying anything people would already know about me. Uh, None of this is surprising. I'd like some dinosaurs. I mean, but that's not, (laughs) that's here nor there, but you know, Uh, there's, there is a dinosaur movie coming out. Unfortunately, it looks like crap. It's what's his name. Uh, Adam driver. He ends up in a time travel mishap and is in the past with this girl. And he's trying to escape the dinosaurs. And of course the dinosaurs are acting more like predators or aliens than animals, which always ticks me off they should act like animals like birds there's no reason for a t-rex to chase you around with like a personal grudge it, it if your food sure but it's not like it can't give up and go hunt something else oh that dude keeps shooting me with a gun that's making me hate him more no that's not how animals work man <sighs> so yeah i would like to see more more better movies involving dinosaurs would be great um but yeah i guess i'm that's pretty much it I mean, there's a lot, but it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like bouncing all over the place as we talk about it. So,
1: yeah, for me, uh, you definitely nailed a couple of them. I'm looking forward to uh, the next Jedi survivor game. Uh, I think it's going to the last Jedi game. I think it's going to be real interesting. Um, I'm very curious to see where they're going to go with it. Cause I agree. I think it was the first one was all set up. So this one's going to potentially have all story. I am very excited to see where the story of Dragonflight goes. We have some, some pretty good guesses, And Matt and I have been definitely making some good predictions so far. Uh, So we'll see if, if those continue to sort of tick those boxes for us as far as going along, but I'm excited for that. Uh, Things that I'm also excited for is, well, there's a Bayonetta game coming out in 2023. That isn't a mainline Bayonetta game. I was going to say, didn't Bayonetta three just come out? It did just come out, but at the end of Bayonetta three, They had this, like, little extra quest thing that you could do that was a completely different art style and a completely different level of gameplay. It was basically isometric gameplay. Um, They're going to be releasing something called Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon, and we're going to actually get the origin story of the characters from Bayonetta. And I'm looking very much forward to it in the storybook style of it. The artwork style is phenomenal. And I'm curious what we're going to get for what is a true prequel to that game series. Uh, Also, in May of this coming year, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is going to be released. I loved Breath of the Wild. I thought it was a fantastic game but it was maybe a little bit light on the story comparatively. It had exposition. It had more story than most other Zelda games do, aside from maybe Skyward Sword and Wind Waker. And this seems to be a promise of returning to that sort of heavy narrative storytelling because now they're starting to tie in where this fits in on the timeline, where everything sort of lay like falls into place. And it looks like there's elements of some of the previous games here, that they're going to start pulling on, and I'm sort of here for that. And another one that's going to be coming out as well in May is Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. I am here for that. I really am curious to see how that's done, because while it'll probably be a very like Arkham Knight, hack and slashy type game, there promises to be a good chunk of story there on what happens when your Suicide Squad has to fight the Justice League, who's been taken over by Brainiac and while oh, it is
0: oh oh go done. ahead go ahead <laughs> no no when you're done i have like a little thing that's in.
1: sure i am very excited for diablo 4 in june i think that's going to be uh, a ton of fun uh and i do think that the story is going to be one of the more interesting parts of it at least for me uh because i'm very curious how they're going to do all that uh and where they're going to go with it so those are the things that I am looking forward to. Uh, aside from Rogue Trader, which of course I am, it's Warhammer 40k. And if you've listened to me at all, you know that I'm super hard into that universe.
0: And it's Alcat, so it's got me.
1: Yeah, and it's Alcat, which their pedigree just speaks for itself. So what were you gonna say, Matt? Because yeah, I definitely hit uh, something. We forgot for you.
0: about the we forgot about Across the Spider Verse.
1: And Across the Spider Verse comes out this year.
0: Yeah, and I I was I. I am not one of those people who loved it as much as everybody else did. The original uh, Into the I did I thought it was good, but it wasn't my immediate, oh yeah, I, I want more of this. But then I found out what they're doing uh, in this storyline. Uh, not just that they're having characters like Miguel O'Hara show up, because that's, that's a big one for me. I'm totally down on that. Uh, I did like Miles from the first one, so I thought Miles will work pretty well in the second one. But then I found out that... The Spectacular Spider-Man from the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite Spider-Man cartoons of all freaking time, is going to be in this movie. Now, it'll probably just be, there he is. But just any acknowledgement of that show bumps up my opinion of this cartoon. Just, Just the very fact that they're like, oh, and by the way, this character is also here. Now I'm in. I am in like Flynn I am I am absolutely going to go see it I I don't think I'll go see it in theaters because I'm just too afraid of going to theaters now like after the pandemic I just don't want to be in a room with a bunch of people and that has really hurt me in terms of getting to consume certain popular culture this year um but I I am I think across the spider verse is probably going to be a high watermark for the year I would agree Uh, just just based on even if you don't like you didn't like into the spider verse as much as other people did its quality was undeniable Like you could, when you watched it, you knew I am watching something that is made with about as much love and care as is humanly possible. Um, Right up to the, like, there's little moments of the individual character animations that are just shocking. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like watching Spider-Man noir and how he moves completely differently than any other character. uh, Just, I remember watching it and really thinking, what is going on? Why is he different? And it's like, I, I think it's actually like a frame rate issue they literally animate him at a different frame rate.
1: They do. That's exactly, that's, that's part of the whole point of it. They, they, in the first one, before he became, uh, before he accepted, before he made that leap of faith, he was animated at a lower frame rate than everybody else because to represent that he was, uh, less sure of himself, didn't know who he was, was still coming into his own. And then the minute he made the leap of faith and accepted who he was, he switched into that smooth 60 FPS um it was a deliberate choice in the animation it's, style
0: it's very obvious and there's a lot of it in there so yeah i think that I, as much as i think we didn't talk about uh no way home which was actually a pretty good movie i think that was technically last year though right it was technically 2021 21. yep yeah so we didn't talk about it but it was a pretty good movie i i have no problems with it i actually think it's one of the better of the new spider-man movies but i think everyone can agree that the best spider-man movie of the past decade is probably into the spider-verse um yeah of the past going back from 2022 all 2023 now all the way back to like like 2012 2013 into the spider-verse is probably the best spider-man movie made and it might be the best spider-man movie ever made period um, more so than even the toby movies more so than any spider-man movie made even the nicholas hammond 70s tv movies i'm willing to go that far so yeah i i think into the spider-verse i mean across the spider-verse is definitely a contender for thing to look forward to in 2014
1: yep and matt beat me too because that was going to be my last thing <laughs>
0: I, I knew you were going to talk about it, but Absolutely. I just wanted to mention the spectacular Spider-Man bit because, man, that was my favorite show.
1: There's also rumors that some of the other animated Spider-Men are going to be showing up as well. Such they as- all
0: show up. I hope the 60s one shows up. I'm hoping the 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 one played by uh, Barney from, I can't remember his name, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Mm-hmm. The Neil Patrick Harris Ultimate Spider-Man, sure, bring them all in. I don't care, but I, I definitely... I do definitely think that it should focus on Miles, uh, just like the last one. It should definitely be about Miles, because Miles is a very good gateway character into this kind of big story.
1: I agree. But that's going to do it for us for today, folks. On this, the first Lore Watch of the new year, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the Q&A for the queue and an ads reset experience. If you have questions for our podcast and you'd like to send them in for us to answer, go ahead and send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it is for so that we can go ahead and make sure that it gets appropriately assigned. You can also hit us up on our Discord server. If you are a Patreon supporter, you get first billing. You can go ahead and throw those questions into our Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. We'll look there first. If you can't support us on Patreon, Uh, You can go ahead and still submit those questions into our Q and podcast questions channel. And again, we understand money is tight, but sharing our show with your friends, talking about it, making sure you share those links out. That is also a form of support and we truly appreciate it. But with that folks, we'll see you next week.